We're in Galatians 3, where Paul is trying to help the Galatian believers understand that the law of Moses is not a part of the age of fulfillment that was inaugurated, that is brought in by Christ Jesus. Now, this past week, we did verses 1 through 9, and the emphasis was the law after justification, or as Paul would have said, or did say, the law after faith. This week, we're picking up in verse number 10, and the emphasis is the law before justification, or again, in Paul's vernacular, the law before faith. And I think what you'll, you'll notice, or a question that will come to fore, is, um, is Paul speaking personally or historically? And when we say personally, is he talking about you and I, before faith came to you, or before faith came in relation to the cross? I'd like to revisit the first verse of chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who put a spell on you, it was before your eyes. Boy, that is such an impactful statement, or it is meant to be anyway. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Um. I think when I read that, I think of the Mel Gibson movie. I can't recall the title of it now. I'm sure some of you can. The Passion. Publicly portrayed. I'm sure that was his goal. I would suppose that was his goal. The idea that Paul thought of himself as doing that. He publicly portrayed. He put it out there plain as day. And then who bewitched you? Who got a hold of what I tried to do there? or what I did do there, and put a spell on you. So the point, at, the point is that this is the anchor for the entire chapter, and it's supposed to be the anchor for our new lives in Christ. Christ crucified. Now we go down to verse number 10, where we pick up, and we read, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things, every one of them, written in the book of the law, and do them. Now Paul is quite repetitious about, the, about contrasting and comparing the truth uh, before the Galatians here in these next, uh, oh, I don't know, Let's see, 20 verses or 21 verses, 20 verses, uh, and comparing, uh, contrasting and comparing the truth. So let's, let's as well not miss these comparisons. Um, so he, he starts here with the law and he uh, gives us the curse first, doesn't he? All right. So he lets us know that's something we've got in our favor. I So the best the Judaizers, those trying to mix Moses and Jesus, could offer was a curse. Verse number 11. Now it is evident, it's clear, everybody has enough logic to figure this out. It is evident that no one is justified before God 
by the law. For the righteous, you see the repetition there, for righteousness, I'm sorry, the righteous shall live by faith. So he comes over here, as we've seen before, and he gives us faith, and he tells us we can have what by faith? Righteousness or life. Verse 12, but the law is not of faith, all right? Just doesn't happen. The one who does them, that's the law or the laws, shall live by them. So let's put a little emphasis here, if we might. Let's put uh, faith here, and uh, let's make it obvious. Is that clear to everybody? It's pretty clear. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for who? us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Now that Paul is quoting the law there. If you're a copious note taker, you'll find that in Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23. So every, as Gentiles, we have one point of contact with the law and that's it. And that is, uh, uh, we, that is through Christ. As Gentiles, or or Christ is the Galatians' only point of contact with the law, they have never been under the law. Therefore, being in Christ, who was under the law, His righteousness is credited to them and therefore to us. So let's, let's see what we have here. That means then that Christ allows us to go from law to faith in Christ... And then we are redeemed from curse to life. All right. Let's look at the, a little bit of Jewish imagery. Moses redeemed Israel from where? Egypt. Christ redeems us from the curse. Now, most of us are, are very familiar with that already, but we have to understand something. This is a type and an anti-type, which means they're similar, but they're not the same. All right. So... That means then that the Jews, when they were redeemed from Egypt, they were not regenerate in that they were redeemed from Egypt. They were a mixed multitude. Most of them were unsaved. Most of them were unregenerate. Okay? You understand that? Nod your head like that right there. So it's a type and an antitype. Okay? Verse number 14. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So you have two words there we want to add to the, uh, the good side. If Dwayne was here, he could help me with that, the good side. All right, so now we have the blessing and the spirit, I think that we saw there, yep. So we have the blessing and the spirit. Are you finding reasons here why you want to go with faith rather than law? Yes or no? Yes. yes. A whole lot of reasons here Paul's laying out. Let me quote my buddy Randy Seaver. It is the cross, the redemptive work of Christ that has ushered us into new creation that is characterized by the Spirit's management 
Our duty is simple and straightforward. We are called to walk in accordance with the realm in which we live. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been called. Uh, Gerald, uh, I don't think you got to talk about it this week, and maybe not last week, but at least uh, you've done it twice. You've been drawing this line up here about walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. We have been called with, through the power of the Spirit to walk in this new realm. Okay? We are not try. And by the way, in this new realm, up here is not the law of Moses. Can I get an amen? Okay, and Christians continue to slide. And this is what Paul is trying to show us. And he'll continue to show us all the way through chapter 12. This the Judaizers were trying to put the law of Moses up here. But that is all over here. That is in the past. That is something that God and we'll look at it. He'll show us more clearly here. But this that is not what this is about. If you try to walk in the law of Moses, you instantly get below this line. Okay. Now, verse number uh, 15, to give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, this, this may not be coming together for you yet. As a matter of fact, to hear myself talk about it, it's not coming for me right now either. But we'll get a timeline up here and it'll make better sense to you. But what Paul is simply saying is you cannot change a man-made covenant once it's been established and confirmed. Certainly then you cannot change um, one made by God Almighty. He's trying to separate for us, and we'll go ahead and begin our timeline. Let's just use purple then. We'll go ahead and begin our timeline. Remember, here's Abraham. So we'll begin our timeline. He's going to lay out, here's today. He's going to begin to lay out for us the, the, the Abrahamic covenant, we call it, the Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses that we talk about. We'll go ahead and put the cross up here. I was reminded a couple things. I appreciate those of you who have the courage to uh, correct me on a bad day. Um, you get that, right? Okay. Um, uh, that this, this, uh, this was uh, A.D. 30. Okay, not A.D. 0, but when we talk about the cross, we're not just talking about the day of his death. We're talking about his incarnation. We're talking about his perfect life, his suffering, all the way to his uh, resurrection, just so you know. Okay, so he's laying out for us how these uh, these two different covenants are work together as the plan of God and how they cannot disannul one another. All right. Verse number 16, look at it with me if you would. Now the promises were made to Abraham. Who were the promises made to? Okay, these are the promises back here. The promises were made to Abraham and to his what? Offspring, plural or singular? Singular. Because the answer is right here. It does not say... And to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to what? One. And to your offspring, who is, fill it in, who? 
Christ. Now, Peter made the same point in Acts chapter 3. And when you read the fact that Paul is saying the same thing as Peter so often, you can see why Peter or Paul got so frustrated with Peter in Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, in Galatians chapter 2. Here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In other words, as we pointed out last week, there is no eternal redemptive blessing for anyone apart from union with Christ. And we are living in the age of fulfillment. That's why Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, 6, circumcision is meaningless. That is, physical descent from Abraham holds no salvific value. Salvific. Are you impressed with the big word? It simply means it does not contribute to your salvation. So now we have some more words to add here. We have offspring. Uh, you'll find the word seed. Okay, Steve, we're gonna have, I'm going to have you read that verse here in just a few minutes. Uh, you'll find the word seed. And then also we find the word, uh, and that's how we get from here to here, we also find the word promises. It's the promises that get us over there also. All right, Genesis 3, if you would, Steve, we'll find the original promise regarding that. Genesis 3, verse number 15. The Lord is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay, so that's that promise about the offspring. And of course, we know the offspring is Christ. Listen to how Jesus speaks to the Jews. We've said so many times that John chapter 7, 8, and 9 coincide beautifully here with the book of Galatians, particularly Galatians 2, 3, and 4. But listen to how he speaks to the, um, the Jews here. Uh, the Lord Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 39 through 44. I'll read just portions of it. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. If God were your father, you would love me. Then finally, in verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And so as we read, I'll read again to you verse number 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say unto offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring uh, referring to Christ. Now believers are now what theologians call experientially in Christ. What does that mean? That is, it is our life now. It is who we actually are. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experientially in Christ. We are experientially the sons of Abraham. Now look at verse 17. That is what I mean, he writes. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God 
so as to make the promise void. All right, now let's fill out our um, timeline here. And I ask you to stay with me, those of you who have a hard time doing so if I'm not uh, entertaining. Let's do the covenant of Moses here, or the uh, Mosaic covenant or the law of Moses. How long did that last approximately? Help me out. Everybody look up here at me if you would. How long did that last approximately? About 1,500 years, right? All right. So that was the covenant of uh, uh, the, the, the Mosaic covenant, about 1,500 years. And Paul tells us how many years in between this beginning and, or, or this happening and this beginning. How long was that? 430 years. So about 430 years. So he's saying if God came down and had said to this to Abraham, does this have any effect on that at all? Yes or no? None whatsoever. So is, is the, when Paul is writing, is this still in effect? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes, it is still in effect. That's right. So uh, when Paul is writing, it's what we call the apostolic age. So this, what is the year of this happening here approximately? We call it A.D. 30, right? And of course, there's more to it than just the cross itself, but we call it the cross, the preaching of the cross. And then we talked about last week, something happens here at uh, 70, uh, I'm sorry, A.D. 70. Thank you there. All right, got help with that one also. Something happened at A.D. 70. Well, at at A.D. 30, we had all of this happening, and another special event came to pass. What also happened here 50 days after the resurrection? Pentecost. That's right. Pentecost. All right. So something happened here at A.D. 70. The destruction of what? That's right. The whole nation of Israel went kaput, and we can call that Holocaust. All right. We'll put an H because I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to spell that one today. All right. And then so this is the, we call this the, what age? Do you remember? Those of you here? The apostolic age. Okay. We call it the apostolic age. All right. And so the Galatians time period was about... Anybody remember that one? About A.D. 50. All right. So when Paul is writing here, he is telling the people that for, uh, let's see here. Okay. Let's look here. Okay. All right. So when Paul is telling them all these things have happened, what he's saying is that the Lord Jesus himself took the curse of the law for us. Right? Right? He is the true Israel. He is the seed. Can you see that over there? He is the true offspring. He is the seed, if you please. He is the only true Israel. He is the only one who could fulfill the law of Moses. So all of this was taken on by the Lord Jesus himself. Should have used a different color. And all of it has been fulfilled and filled in full by the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God and by faith itself, it is now, it has become you and I that are the sons of Abraham. How many of you don't understand that? So these two do not conflict they work in uh, tandem, if you will. We'll talk about it a little more, make it a little clearer with my notes. But all of this comes together. These two covenants 
through Christ, and now you and I are the sons of Abraham. So when it comes to fulfilling the law, Christ has fulfilled the law. He has become a curse for you and I. Did he need to be cursed? Yes or no? Did he fail in the Mosaic law? Yes or no? No, he fulfilled it perfectly. So why did he become cursed as one who had failed in the law? Because of the sin committed by our father, Adam. Okay? So he fulfills the Mosaic covenant. He receives the Abrahamic covenant as the offspring, and he hands it all down to you because he hates you? Why? Because of his great love for you and I. Verse 18. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by what? Promise. So what are we missing up here? We're missing inheritance. Ever wanted a nice, big, fat inheritance? Well, you got one. Amen, amen, amen. Listen to what Paul wrote the Romans in chapter 13, verse 14. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world... Heir of the what? Heir of the what? The world. Now, listen, stay with me now. I'm wanting you to realize what you've inherited here. That he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the inheritance, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. I know I'm struggling up here. My mind is not doing as well as I would like. But what I want you to understand, if you think in any way it can be gotten by the law, it can never be gotten by faith. Are you with me? If in any way you try to bring up law in your life to get any kind of inheritance at all or any type of favor at all from God Almighty, you instantly do this right here. All right, let's keep moving here. Listen to Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So if there's an inheritance, that makes us what? Heirs. Now, look, look at me if you would. If, if, if you get to the place where you say, okay, I get it. No law, no law, no law. Isn't it amazing that Paul keeps pressing the point? I met a guy up at uh, Chipotle this week. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't think he's a believer. He's, 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 he's um, friendly to Christianity. And he said to me, isn't, it, it, it is interesting, as we talk about this, that the law constantly just eases its way back in, doesn't it? 
And he just talked about common human relationships, how we compare ourselves to each other, and how we come up with these ideas about between us, about just the, the goofiest things, little laws we come up with between us. The law constantly works its way back in because it is our human nature to come up with something that makes us better than somebody else or at least satisfies our ego. That was the word he came up with. At least satisfies our own ego that we have accomplished something in ourselves. And the apostle, there is a so what to this, I promise you. There is, there is this idea that we are trying to bring up something in ourselves. And listen, that is the reason why you worry. Because when you bring up something in yourselves, you put faith. Are you listening to me? You put faith in yourself. And that is the why you come. That is why we come to church on Sunday, excited around our brothers and sisters. But by Tuesday, we are falling apart. We have got to go back to verse number one and set the cross of Christ before our eyes. That is the only way to walk in victory, dear brothers and sisters. Any of this, whether you call it mosaic, whether you call it personal, no matter what you call it, it brings nothing but a curse. What is our inheritance? Listen, listen, please hear me. Please hear me. We don't deserve the dust we breathe. What is our inheritance? Hebrews 1-2. The son is appointed, listen closely, the heir of all things. How many things? There is no division. There is no division. I had a dear, dear brother whom I loved oh so much. I understand he saw the inconsistencies of so many schematics. But he got into this thing where the Gentiles would inherit heaven and the Jews would inherit earth and this is the way eternity would be split forever. But the Son would inherit all things, brothers and sisters. And we, are, we, will, we will be heirs with Christ. That means we will inherit how, all, what things? All things. Remember, under the law, we Gentiles are entitled to no inheritance. Under the law, no inheritance. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now look at verse 19. Here comes the answer to your question. Look at verse 19. Why then the law? You see it? Read it with me. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Why was it added? Because of what? Transgressions. Transgressions. How long would it be in place? Until Until when? The offspring. Who's the offspring? Christ Christ Jesus. All right, an important question. Notice the answer. It was added because of transgressions. Remember the nation of Israel was a mixed multitude and was filled with mostly unregenerate people. 
As Adam is seen as a representative of us all when placed in the garden of God with only one temptation, did he succeed or fail? Israel is an object lesson for man when faced with the absolute holiness of God's character in a carefully and perfectly articulated law. Did they succeed or fail? Failed. Again, my buddy Randy Seaver writes, God's primary purpose in giving the law to Israel was to reveal the true character of sin. The presence of clearly revealed commandments gave sin the character of transgression thus exposing the awful plight of sinful rebels. Israel's reaction to that covenant reflected the attitude, watch it, of every sinner when confronted with God's holy character and unbending demands. Since the law disclosed the awesome perfection of God's holy character, it completely cut off all hope of sinners ever seeing God's face in peace apart from the faithfulness of Christ in fulfilling its unalterable demands. How long is it in place? Until the offspring should come. So what we find there, and we'll find it a couple more places that Paul puts it, until the offspring should come is an expiration date. There's an expiration date. When is that expiration date for the law? Till the offspring should come. Has the offspring come? Yes. Yes. To this point, Paul wrote of his fellow Jews, Romans 10, 2 through 4. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the offspring who is Jesus Christ has come. Then we read the end of verse 19 going into verse 20. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. This speaks to the fact that Moses is the mediator of the law, but God came directly to Abraham. This is similar to what John wrote in John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Read the next two words to me. Certainly Certainly not. For if the law had been given that could get life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. A. Blake White writes this, God has one plan. How many plans does God have? But the covenants have differing functions that work together in a complementary way within that plan. The law was not able or designed to secure righteousness, inheritance, or life. So let's put it on the bottom shelf. Watch me now. Put it on the bottom shelf. According to Deuteronomy chapter 10, the natural seed of Abraham has already multiplied as the stars of heaven. They are about to inherit the promised land. But because of transgressions, they're never going to be able to keep it and bless the nations. And the law proves it. Yea, it even magnifies the point. Remember, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8 verse 3, the weakness of the law is the flesh. 
Remember, even Moses, the meekest man on the face of the earth, publicly displays his rebellious heart by striking the rock twice, which is Christ, rather than speaking to it as God had commanded him. So Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, the son of David, born under the law, does fully and completely obey the law, dies in the place of sinners, declaring what? It is finished. And in doing so, he takes our sin, imputes his righteousness to our account. Now through Christ, the redeemed are the sons of Abraham who inherit the promise of the Spirit and truly, watch this, truly fulfill the blessing or the promise of blessing the nations of the earth and become co-heirs with Christ. All of this serves its purpose. Christ is the true offspring. He is the true Israel. He fulfills the law. And through faith, He makes you and I sons of Abraham. So the law proves the necessity of Christ's substitutionary death by revealing the depravity of man and wonderfully, Jace, I think going to your point, it magnifies the grace of God. In other words, the law validates the gospel of grace and the necessity of faith, but it is in no way a part of it. I think additionally, from what we can see from the Judaizers and from Paul, if we misunderstand the fact that the law and faith are mutually exclusive, the law can actually hinder the gospel. Think about our theme, or Paul's theme. Commit to Christ, not the law. You remember what Paul wrote in Colossians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1.23? We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. The law can be a stumbling block if we don't realize that law and faith are mutually exclusive. Now look at verse number 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see plainly that the law makes prisoners. Jesus alone sets captives free. Do you recall when Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4? And he said, the Spirit of God, the Lord God hath anointed me to set the captives at liberty. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now you notice he switched over to this uh, historical uh, point of view, this uh, inclusive plural view where he says we were held. He's referring here to the Israelites. Again, as I said earlier, it's historical, not personal. But he says until the coming of faith. Again, pointing out the temporary nature of the law. It has an expiration date. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian. It's important to understand that in Paul's day, a guardian wasn't like a guardian today. It would have been a, uh, a, a slave who was more like a, like a babysitter. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Let's add a few more words up there. Imprisoned, 
What's that other one you see there? Captive. Captive. This is why Paul is saying, get, understand God's purpose. There is no purpose here for you to be captive, for you to be imprisoned, for you to be without faith, for you to be cursed. Oh, guardian. A guardian. Does that mean we don't need, does that mean we don't need oversight? Jay, do we not need oversight? We definitely need oversight, don't we? We need it. We need it desperately. Do we have oversight? Yes. We have oversight. What do you think is better? Do you think this is better oversight? Or do you think the presence of God Almighty is better oversight? Thank you. Finally get some help in this world. Usually I get no respect at all. Verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Now, present tense, no guardian, no law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. You are, Paul now switches the emphasis from past to present, from what they were, the Hebrews, to what we are, believers. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. Verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or fe- and female. Oh boy, folks like to take that one out of context today, don't they? For all, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, we are in Christ and sons of Abraham experientially. That is how our life is now. It is who we actually are. And as our, our, our brother Gerald has been saying, let's live up to that through the power of the Spirit and the direction of the Word. The Spirit's Word. And this, by the way, Great statement I read this week. This is about more than harmony. It is an acknowledgement that God's kingdom purposes are in Christ. This is about more than harmony. Certainly we should have harmony. But this statement here, let me read it again. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ. Certainly that ought to bring harmony. But this is about more than harmony. This is an acknowledgement that God's kingdom purposes are in Christ. Not in lineage, not in race, not in law, but in Christ. And if we at Atlanta Reformation Fellowship What would happen if we would actually get this as a body? We seem to get the fact that it is not these things, but we tend to forget the fact that God's kingdom purposes are not in us. And truly... As Paul told the Galatians, we entered the kingdom of God through much tribulation. And failure comes and is plain. I'm not indicting you. We indict ourselves 
And we won't usually know it about each other. So I'm not, this is not, hey, I'm better than you, you're better than me. Not at all. But you will know you're indicted by the words of your own lips. Complaining. You'll know you're indicted by the words of your own lips. There's your James. I know that's what, not what you were referencing, but the words of your own lips. If you find yourself griping, now you go to the Lord about your circumstances, do so. And go to your brothers and sisters for guidance through your circumstances. Absolutely. But if you thought this world was roses without thorns, you do not have a sense of gratefulness for your thorns. I'm not, I'm not trying to get weird on you here. But your thorns are from the hand of a loving, gracious God. Calvin said this about the verse. Paul means that the Galatians are so closely united to him in the presence of God that they bear the name and character of Christ and are viewed in him rather than in themselves. Verse 29, the last verse. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You catch that? All this time he's been telling us who is the offspring. And I know I beg a lot of attention from you. It's only because I have poor self-esteem. Uh, Who who has he been telling us is the offspring? Christ. Christ. Now look how he wraps it up. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. That is... Well, Jeff, I know you like to rejoice in some of these things, and I have rejoiced with you. You, my brother, are Abraham's offspring. Do you just see what he said to you? Did he not just take you in Christ... That's powerful. Heirs according to the promise. Who did we just, what did we just say? Jesus was heir of what? Oh my goodness. How could I ever complain about anything? He just said you and the eternal word of God are both the offspring and heirs of all things. Did I really just complain about what I just complained about? Have I really just forgotten? Paul's message is clear. Let me wrap this up with some thoughts that I want to make sure we're picked up on my convoluted message. The only attachment we have to the law is in Christ. That is... What he did as the true Israel under the Mosaic law, nothing more. And the only hope for the elect is the preaching of the cross. What is the preaching of the cross? God became flesh, lived sinless among us, lovingly suffered and died for believers, rose again victoriously and sits as king over all creation, ready to pardon all who come to him in repentance and faith. Let us ask ourselves now, why is Paul so insistent 
in extinguishing the law from our justification and our entire, our entire salvation experience. It is because the law is inseparable from our own works. And our works must never attract the slightest amount of our faith. Yet they constantly do. We will not, when they do, we will not put our complete confidence in the Lord. We will not be able to face the extreme adversity and tribulation that awaits us in this journey. But rather we will find ourselves living in doubt and worry and fear. Failing to be content and thankful, we will complain about our situation, lean on the flesh. And when the evil day comes and the fiery darts are launched, we will disappoint ourselves. So our focus must be the cross. And anything else is foolish. I think Jeff led us well this morning with the words of Fanny Crosby. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.